Chapter Nine of the Keynote by Clara Louise Burnham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Christy Lufer. Chapter Nine, A Working Plan. Mrs. Lowell knocked for admittance at Diana's door that evening, and entering, found the girl sitting at the little desk she had added to Miss Burge's furnishings, surrounded by books and papers. "'Is it an inopportune time?' asked the caller, hesitating. Diana rose, smiling. "'That can never be for you,' she replied. "'Thank you, dear child. I am so full. I long to talk to you. You may have a helpful suggestion.' "'I shall be pleased to act as your confidant. Sit here, Mrs. Lowell. I was just writing my mother how fortunate I am in the fact that you are here.' I encounter a good deal of difficulty in persuading my mother that I am not in a desert place and am not doing penance. I'm very desirous of restraining her from coming to see for herself. I should be aghast at the prospect of taking care of her and her maid here. Yet, when I pile up superlatives, she decides that I have fallen in love with an Indian and is increasingly disturbed. The girl looked very pretty in the peach-colored negligee she was wearing, its precious laces falling over Miss Burge's cheap chairs and matting, and her thick, bright brown hair in disorder. Oh, tell her he isn't an Indian, tell her he's a Viking. Diana's serene gaze did not falter, though her color rose. I do not mind your badinage, she returned, for when I fall in love— it is going to be with a supremely unattractive man externally. I shall be the only woman who knows and understands his charm. Then other women will not infringe my rights. After you hear Mr. Barrison sing, you'll understand that in his career women will bow before him like flowers in an irresistible gust of wind. I cannot imagine a worse fate for a girl than to share that career. The more brilliant it might be, the more crushing to her happiness. But this interview is getting turned about. I was to be the confidant, not you. Then, this is my tale, my dear, said Mrs. Lowell. I have discovered who did those sketches Mr. Gaines showed us this morning. Then you were right. They were not his own. Bertie's mother did them and he inherits her talent, this poor child whom the man is trying to blot out of normal life. What makes you certain? Because he did one before my eyes down by the shore today, with a swift, sure touch, and that thin, sad face of his lighted till he looked like a different being. His parents are dead. His mother was an artist. He worked with her, as soon as she left the child, his uncle forbade him to draw, and took all his materials away from him, whipped him if he found a pencil in his possession. Those sketches we saw were done either by the boy or his mother. There's no doubt of it. She eloped with his father, estranging her family from her. She was alluring of Boston. Diana regarded the speaker with admiration. How wonderful for you to obtain so much information from such a source. 
Oh, it was little by little, of course. I told him his uncle had shown us some good sketches, and asked him if it was not strange that Mr. Gain could do them, taking up the art so late in life, for it seemed he took it up only as Bertie laid it down. And the boy's reply was significant. He said, Oh, no, it's easy. He seemed to have no suspicion, but then he hasn't had life or interest enough to harbor suspicion. He just endures. Mrs. Lowell went on to tell of Cora and the drudgery of the boy's dull and dulling existence, and her listener's eyes lost their customary serenity. "'It must not be,' said the girl at last, as her companion ceased. "'Have you made a diagnosis?' "'I only feel that the root of all evil must be at the bottom of it,' replied Mrs. Lowell. "'The old Nick, as Veronica calls him, must believe there is money to be secured, and that if he can only prove that his nephew is incompetent, he can gain charge of it. Bertie told me that his mother's people were rich.' "'Of course, then, that is the key. "'But—' It does not explain what the man is doing with pickaxe and shovel up at my farm. Your farm, my dear. Perhaps, said Diana carelessly. But that is not interesting us now. Mrs. Lowell, I adore your unselfishness which has caused you to give your time to this boy. I have tried to converse with him, but his lack of responsiveness seems to obscure the clarity of my mental processes. I wish, however, to have a hand in his salvation. The thing to do now, it appears to me, is to discover this Loring family. That will take money, and I will supply it. My dear Miss Diana, drop the miss, please. I feel honored by your friendship. Do you know of a good lawyer? My husband is a lawyer. Then please, ask him to proceed at once. The girl's dignity and beauty added charm to the sense of power in an emergency which money sometimes gives. It is galling that we cannot take the boy away from that brute immediately, she added. Oh, we must be so careful, exclaimed Mrs. Lowell. Rather than let us do one thing to clear and brighten Bertie's mind, his uncle would send him off the island. We must not show dislike or suspicion, and God will guide us in the footsteps we must take. He is taking care of the child now through us. Really, Mrs. Lowell, your faith is very beautiful, said Diana. Everybody should have it. Why go alone when the Bible is right there with its marvelous promises? God's children are not puppets pulled by wires— and so some people complain that the promises are not kept. We are made in his image and likeness, tributary only to him. Every good thing is possible to us if we turn toward him instead of away from him. Mr. Gain appears to have turned away, said Diana dryly. Yes. He made me shudder this afternoon when he talked of Bertie's learning to swim— it was as if he hoped it might be the child's end. Diana shook her head. No, he doesn't want that. 
No, so I consoled myself afterward. But his malignant spirit bursts forth in spite of him occasionally. Mrs. Lowell rose, and the girl followed her example. The elder woman approached and placed her hands on Diana's shoulders. "'I thank God,' she said, "'for your cooperation. I will write to my husband tonight.' "'Is he as... as religious as you are?' "'Not perhaps in the same way. He does not see quite as I do. But he's a good man, and loves everything good.' Some recollection made the speaker smile. I try his soul at times by not doing what he calls minding my own business. For instance, once I saw a young fellow at an elevated station in New York, dazed by drink. I was in haste and on an important errand, but I couldn't take my train and leave him there. So I went and sat down beside him and asked him where he was going. He said to the Brooklyn Ferry, but he was thick and helpless. I called a little colored boy carrying a large milliner's box and asked him if his errand needed to be done immediately. He was pretty doubtful, but he finally said no. So I told him I would check his box and leave a dollar with it for him when he returned if he would take this young man straight to the Brooklyn Ferry and see that he did not go in anywhere on the way. He said he would do so, and I gave him his check and car fare and some nickels for telephoning and asked him to call me up that evening. I wrote my telephone number and left it with a box. He promised, and my train came along, and I had to leave them. About six o'clock that afternoon the telephone rang. It was my messenger. He said that when he got the young man downstairs to go to the train for the ferry, his charge became violently sick. After that, he came to himself and gave a different direction to the boy, the address of an office building. He was pale and shaky, so the boy stayed with him. They went up in an elevator and into an office where the young man said that he had brought the money. They sent from someone from another office, and to this person the young man gave a roll of a thousand dollars. Of course, I was quite excited and happy over this news, and I thanked my messenger and said, See what God has helped us to do today. That young man might have been robbed, and would have been suspected of theft by his employer, and lost his character and his position. My husband was sitting nearby reading the paper, and he looked up and said, Who on earth are you talking to? I just answered, A little darky boy, and went on, while my husband stared. When I told him the whole story, he laughed and shook his head. Hopeless, he said, hopeless. He's quite conservative, and he would like me to stay within the beaten track. That was fine, said Diana. Mr. Lowell will be in sympathy with this case, I hope, and undertake it with his whole heart. I'm going to give you a check to send to him as a retainer. Then he will know that this is a serious business matter. The girl sat down at her desk and wrote the check, and Mrs. Lowell took it thankfully. She went to her room and wrote her letter. In due time, she received a reply. Dear one, I see you have again ceased minding your own business, and I am really very proud of you in spite of your obstinacy. 
I thought in the wilds of Casco Bay you might get away from responsibilities for a while. But I might have known that, unless I set you adrift on an iceberg, you would find some lame or halt or blind to sucker. Even then, I think the iceberg would melt at your presence, and in short order you would be down among the mermaids explaining to them that it was error to go out on the rocks to do their hair and sing to sailors. Your story is very interesting, and while I believe that Boston is as full of loring's as it is of beans, Miss Wilbur has made it possible to ring every loring doorbell and ask down which steps ran the eloping daughter. Rest assured, as her lawyer I shall do my best in this affair. Owing to Mr. Wilbur's prominence in the public prints, his connections are pretty well known, and I thought I associated Herbert Loring, the railroad president, with him. I suppose Miss Wilbur would have told you if there were anything in that. The remainder of the letter dealt with different subjects, and when Mrs. Lowell had finished it, she hastened to her friend and put her question. "'I will send my father a telegram at once,' responded the girl. That form of speech was not strictly accurate, as it was rather an elaborate operation to send a telegram from the island. However, it was finally accomplished. This was the message to her father. "'Have you any friends named Loring? Have we any relatives or connections by marriage of that name? Diana.' The day after the girl had given her check to Mrs. Lowell, Bertie Gain was not seen about the inn all morning. At dinner-time he returned with his uncle. Mr. Gain's manner was disarmingly bluff and hearty. He had a cheerful word for everybody. The boy's silent manner and uninterested look were just as usual. Mrs. Lowell managed to catch his eye once or twice, but he gave no sign of understanding. The horse-mackerel were running, and the island population was all excited. The taking of one of the huge fish was an event, and very lucrative for the captors. The talk of the table was all on this subject, and Nicholas Gain entered into it with zest. After dinner, everybody went out in front of the house to view the tell-tale disturbances in the waters of the bay, where numerous small boats were hanging about, waiting their opportunity. Veronica eagerly joined the watchers as soon as she was at liberty. "'Let us walk down nearer the water.' proposed Diana. Mr. Gaines' field-glasses were being handed about, and she was afraid they would be offered to her. So she and Veronica moved down across the field, and seated themselves on the grass against a convenient rock. "'Where do you think Bertie was this morning?' she asked. "'Uncle took him off with him.' "'Up to the farm?' "'I suppose so.' Mr. Gain seems to think that farm might get away if he didn't see it for twenty-four hours. I wonder if he will not be wishing to purchase it one of these days, said Diana. I'd buy some clothes for Bert first if I was in his place. Everything the boy has seems to have been bought for his little brother. Did you ever read Nicholas Nickleby, Veronica? Yes, I have. The younger girl looked around brightly. I know who you're thinking of. Smike. I've thought of Smike ever since they came. Diana received her look with a smile. One touch of nature made them kin for the moment, and Diana, all unconscious of her companion's mental reservations, did not know that at this moment she was nearer than she had ever been to being forgiven for her various perfections.
all my childhood, said Diana, I used to wish I could have done something for Smike. I've wished that, too, said Veronica. Now we have an opportunity, returned Diana. You are young and sportive, and you made a good beginning. Oh, I did not, returned Veronica. You might as well try to sport with a hearse. Everything you say to him, he turns his eyes on you all, darkened up with those lashes, regular morning. And you don't know where to look yourself, nor what to say. Yes, I did want to help Smike, but so long as the law won't let us string up Mr. Gain somewhere, lots of times I wish they'd gone to some other island. Isn't it a pity he hasn't got spunk enough to run away? Even Smike ran away. I am glad this boy is not inclined to do that returned Diana, for I feel that he has friends here, and that something good should come of his summer. Not if Mr. Gain can help it, declared Veronica. He was afraid Mrs. Lowell was giving Bert too good a time with those walks and talks. She nodded her head. Believe me, that's the reason. Well, we found you, said a voice behind them. It was a voice which made color steal up into Diana's cheeks, the girls both looked around quickly. Philip Barrison was approaching, and with him a shorter man. Both were bareheaded. The Blarney Stone, thought Veronica. She'd been wondering when Mr. Barrison would bring him, and now she gave him what she herself would have described as the once-over, as he smiled at Diana and lifted his hand to his tightly waved hair in salute. What Veronica saw caused her to lift her hand to the bridge of her nose and cover its small proportions with two fingers, from both sides of which her round eyes gazed seriously. End of chapter 9